The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas are in the house. <laughs> I said I'm just too old to be doing stuff like that, but good morning, guys. Morning. <laughs> morning, Ian. Morning. Happy to morning. say we're not in your house, but never mind. No. <laughs> no, they're in their own houses, but uh, you get the uh, idea. Later on, we'll be joined by Art de Roche yeah. to have a quick chat about the under-23s. We're back anyway. I mean, there has been plenty of football going on while we've been away. Uh, some of it of the rugby sort. We ain't talking about that. But uh, we got Wolves away on Thursday night. But what are we most looking forward to about getting back into it? Amy, we'll start with you. It's been a couple of weeks since the Arsenal men's first team played. What are we looking forward to? I'm really, really looking forward to the uh, calm, measured, sanguine response of uh, the Arsenal world when one of our strikers misses uh, an easy chance. Because that's going to be, you know, nice and chilled. <laughs> Get everyone in the mood as to what they miss about football and why they love their team so much. I mean, do you think Arsenal Twitter, I mean, we are talking about Twitter really, but do you think Arsenal Twitter is actually more poisonous, rancorous, generally hysterical? James, you're on there quite a bit. What do you think? That's a googly, uh, Jesus, first yeah, thing on a Monday morning. That's a bit of a hospital pass, Ian. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're all lovely and I've got nothing bad to say about anybody. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, it will. Amy's right. I think every time we miss a chance, or, or maybe every time a Birmingham puts one away, and we've spoken about that before. <laughs> In terms of what I'm looking forward to, I am genuinely looking forward to seeing Arsenal with their first choice central midfield pairing back together. Um, you know, I think it's the Man City game that we last were able to call upon Thomas Partey. Oh, no, he had that terrible cameo where he came back. I dropped it out from my mind, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, with any sort of regularity or consistency and with him and Granit Xhaka now back from suspension, you know, we really had to kind of muddle through January in that area of the pitch. And uh, although both players have their flaws and have their problems, I think as a unit, generally, they are pretty solid. So I'm expecting that to make quite a big difference when football gets underway again what what do you look forward to Ian from the the next few weeks well I mean look in terms of the Premier League we've had Burnley Watford so that that's enough entertainment for anyone I would suggest but uh uh, uh well do you know what I just want Tommy Asu fit and I want him back in the team because I, I don't think people have quite realized how important I think he is going forward. I genuinely feel uh, there was a whole, there was a little Twitter spat. Lee Dixon got involved because someone was having a go at him, and he was, and he was having a go back. And we all know that Lee's a legend at Arsenal. But I, I genuinely feel that Tommy Asu could be at that level. Uh, I, I think I know I do. Amy, your eyebrows shot up there, and I understand because that's a big call. But I think the guy is as solid a right back as I've seen since Dicko, and. Um, I want him in the team. And, and i tell you I... what, Lauren might have a fight with you over that. Just <laughs> just throwing that in there. And he has got boxing credentials. So. <laughs> you know what? I, I, okay. And Sanya wasn't bad either. I think. Sanya I mean, don't wasn't... get me wrong, I really like Tomiyasu. I think he's great. But, you know, don't think to denigrate some other good right-backs is... Uh... 
I don't believe I denigrated anyone, actually, Amy. I think what I did was sung the praises of one particular one. And look, hey, everyone's entitled to their opinion, and I'm sure there are other people who go, he hasn't proved anything yet and all the rest of it, but I really like the look of this kid. Kid. I mean, they're all kids, aren't they? Uh, I really like the look of this guy, and and I just want him to be fit for the next 10 seasons. Uh, So uh, if you're asking, and I'll say I'm asking what I'm looking forward to, that is what I'm looking forward to. Um... Go on, Amy. You I, want to I, 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 I did give a fairly facetious answer when you first asked me about what I'm looking forward to. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how um, the team. Uh, I'd love to see the the what people kind of more or less identify as the the first eleven uh, to have a good run of games without any problems. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how revived they have been by this break, because for all the um, negativity that there has been about not signing um, the reinforcements that were were uh, hoped for. I think that, that you know, that there was the makings of a really uh, positive team uh, not so long ago that we were all quite excited about. But they also looked so knackered before the, the break. And I think that anybody who watched any of the videos and stuff coming back from Dubai, you could see that they... Um, they were re- renewed a little bit, refreshed uh, and reinvigorated. And I think just having a break, getting getting some vitamin D, having a bit of downtime and being able to just pause and uh, enjoy themselves for a bit, hopefully has done them the power of good, mentally as well as physically. Yeah, yeah, well... I agree completely. Was there anyone, by the way, involved in football who wasn't in Dubai in the last couple of weeks? Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, you can get yourself ready for the match by signing up to The Athletic and new subscribers can get a third off by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. Now, Amy said it just before the break we had a natural break the boys have had some sun on their backs and they're ready to go i expect them to tear into walls on thursday night and sail through the rest of the season um where's your hopeometer now amy going into the second half of the season well without wanting to get too comfortable on the fence um we had a similar conversation uh, uh as a family yes yesterday over sunday lunch you know and it was sort of kind of where does everyone think Arsenal's going to end up this season? And somebody said fourth, to which I raised my eyebrows a little bit, like I did just now to you, Stoney, when you said Tommy Asu's um, the next Lee Dixon. Um, <laughs> just in that sense that you think it, yeah, everybody wants it, and it is still possible, but it feels like everything's got to go right for that to happen. And then somebody else said fifth, and you thought. Yeah, that, you know, Europa League, that seems like the progress that's needed without being quite the leap that everybody would crave for. And then the next one round was like sixth or seventh and it was kind of slowly going down. And the difficult thing is I sort of found myself nodding away with almost everybody because where Arsenal are right now is you do feel that, you know, the the spectrum or the span of, of possibility is quite broad. It could go beautifully, um, you know. The the gamble of the uh, the the transfer business and the outgoings, sort of with this lean, streamlined squad with seventeen cup finals, with a bunch of young, hungry players who really get along and who are really united. You never know; they could just hit a rhythm, and that just 
goes beautifully all the way through to the end. Having said that, a few bad results, the pressure could be uh, colossal and it could go quite badly wrong. Or it could just be that, you know, very acceptable sort of hopefully fifth, possibly sixth. But um, wow. I don't think that anyone fence. really wants... Uh, it is a very comfortable fence. I, I was going to say, it's essentially you're sat back in the armchair on the fence, really. But I understand <laughs> that. James, this is the point, isn't it, really, that that we, all things are possible. If it all goes right, everyone stays fit and we hit that rhythm, fourth is definitely possible. If it all goes wrong and we start playing like we did in, uh, well, actually, uh, before we got going in the season, we can finish eighth um, and all things in between. Yeah, there's there's teams between fourth and eighth. United, West Ham, Arsenal, Tottenham, Wolves separated by four points. Admittedly, I think that table is a bit misleading because there are a lot of teams with games in hand, including Arsenal. You know, we've played two games less than West Ham, one game less than United, who are both above us. Um, it's really hard to call. I if you ask me to, you know, put my put my name to something now, I think Arsenal will finish in the top six, but probably not the top four. That's just my perception of kind of where we are and where the squad is based on January transfer window. But it's going to be very, very tight. And, you know, even Thursday, Wolves game feels pretty big. I mean, if we lose that, they will go above us. So that could have pretty significant ramifications come the end of the season. And Amy described it as you know, 17 cup finals. And it, it really is that. I mean, it's a pretty clear gauntlet now between now and May uh, for us to try and make our way through. Yeah, no one's been, um, we're, we're not, we're playing the first team every time now, aren't we really? Whoever is fit and available is straight in that team. Amy, you were you were slightly sort of upset by watching Vlaovic score an absolutely fantastic goal. We didn't uh, at the at the weekend. He's going to get quite a lot, by the way. You really can't let this get to you every time he does this. Um, and by the way, Oberl starts scoring fairly soon as well, um, and that'll make it even harder. But in the end, we have what we have. We didn't get your comments last week uh, about the transfer window and and what went on. Uh, can you give us a a a little insight into what's happening in the Lawrence? Mind read the transfer. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have a yeah, no, I like morning, that. Stony. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't a window into the Lawrence soul. That is quite scary. I wouldn't be opening that too wide. Um, I think my feelings were probably much the same as almost everybody, and and the majority of people that uh, I was listening to or or seeing during that period, who were in kind of vaguely reasonable moods seem to be in agreement that the 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 exits were broadly not a massive problem but the lack of the uh entrances was you know the worry and uh that's very much how i felt i think i could have could have lived with i'm sorry that it ended the way it ended with oba because i think that he's his contribution to the club during a really difficult period is something i'll remember warmly and I think overall he's a a, a likable, very likable character. Um, sometimes people leave and move on, and it's a bit easier to feel negativity towards them because maybe you know there are aspects of them that are not as likable. But I think Oba is a genuinely one of the good guys, and I think he's uh, he did great stuff for Arsenal, and especially that that cup final, that twenty twenty, that behind closed doors period where. 
he he did take on that leadership role by example on the pitch and to an extent off the pitch as well as a character deserves a lot of uh, a lot of fond uh, recognition but it is what it is um it probably helps that he he gone off the boil before leaving because i think if someone leaves from a position of strength it really hurts like a van Persie, for example but it's the it's 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 just wondering whether we've got the firepower and i you know it's not impossible and going back to that question before about <laughs> sitting on the fence and where it could be anything between a whole bunch of options we've got to be optimistic and pleased that top four is an option because it is the first time in a while that you genuinely are going into the sort of home stretch thinking that it's it's attainable so that in itself is something to cling to but whether we've given ourselves the best chance of attaining that we'll find out in may but it's gonna it's going to demand and require optimum performances from every player for pretty much every minute of every game I think that's a really fair point, though, James, that Amy just made about the fact that, you know, Arsenal fans can complain about the lack of uh, incoming transfers and all the rest of it. But we have a decent, I think, chance of top four. When was the last time we could say that? It's like five, six years ago now. Yeah, true. And we've put ourselves in that position with, you know, a pretty strong run of form after that uh, bad start to the season. And by and large, that group of players are still here, are intact, are, for now, touch wood, fit and available. You know, Bamiyang being the exception, but I think many of our better performances have come when he's, he's not been in the side. So, yeah, I, yeah I, look, we, ha- we have a chance. We have a punching chance. Um, and and I, when I look at the other squads, you know, West Ham, Wolves, their fixture lists, I think, are maybe more challenging than some of the other teams. So that's six guaranteed, then, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I don't. I would never say that. I would never say that. And I think, uh, I think Wolves will be a stern test actually on Thursday. It's a game I'm a, a little bit nervous about. Yeah, of course. But you know, we should. We should. That's what we should be looking at at a minimum. And fourth is possible. And Amy's right to say it's been a while since we've been in that position. So yeah, I really hope they can kick on and and, and push for it. And I think. You know, we talked about what we're excited about. One of the things I'm really excited about when it comes to sort of scoring goals is just seeing the continuing development of Gabriel Martinelli in the second half of the season. You know, I think that the handling of him has been really interesting. The timing at which he came into the team, pretty much uh, similar or around the same kind of time that Aubameyang came out. Um, And his ascendancy has kind of come at a time when Aubameyang has been excluded. And I don't know if that's entirely coincidental because I think there were kind of crossovers in the sort of Venn diagrams of their playing styles that didn't mean that they always meshed particularly well. Although certainly that Arteta didn't necessarily see them in the same team. And I think if anybody is going to be a match winner for Arsenal, be someone who makes the difference, you'd have to say he's someone who looks like he might have the potential. We've seen some young players have storming second halves of the season before. You think of Nicolas Sinelka in 98 in terms of the impact he had coming into that team and transforming the kind of threat they offered. And I really do think Martinelli has a sort of similar potential. So I'm really excited to see if he can deliver on that. I also think Saka and Smith-Rowe will have benefited a lot from having a breather, Mm. especially Saka, who having been involved with so much international football as well, has just 
played on and on and on and on. And this is probably the first time in a while that he's been able to, to, to actually, you know, breathe out for a moment. Uh, so hopefully if he comes back with a little bit of renewed zest, that's going to be another big plus. Should we, can I ask you both this briefly, should we play Martinelli through the middle or at least try Martinelli through the middle and see how he goes? Uh, Amy, you first. Um, my concern in a way is to an extent who he's up against in terms of centre-backs. And if it's two great, big, powerful units and he's got to try and get beyond both of them and hold the ball up and bring others into play, you know, the sort of centre-forward role that... I don't think if you're asking Martinelli to do what Lacazette does, but, you know, plus get in the box and score, it's. I think that's an awful lot to, to load on him at this moment in time. His 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 energy and determination is second to none, but his uh, his physical size is you know he's not huge. He's not the tallest or the broadest player. So I would worry slightly that he might you might be taking a bit away from what he what he's brilliant at because he's being you know being uh, uh, pushed about a bit maybe by experienced uh, massive centre back opponents. Having said that, I think if there was a way to tweak the system and have him maybe as part of a pair, uh, I'd be quite interested to see trying him alongside Lacazette, for example, playing them off one another. That could be really interesting. Yeah, he's sort of playing, I guess, a more sort of Luis Suarez role uh, when he was playing for Liverpool, perhaps. What do you think, James? It's interesting. I mean, I was watching the training camp videos from Dubai and some of the positions Martinelli was working in, even in those fleeting glimpses, you could see that, you know, he was doing some work in the inside right channel, which suggests they're thinking about him as a, a more central option than someone who's just out on the left wing. I have to say, I think that where he's playing right now suits him um, and it enables him to kind of dovetail with Lacazette a bit anyway. You know, we've seen a bit of combination from those two almost operating as a, a front pair, even if Aubameyang start not Aubameyang, forgot, he doesn't play for us anymore. Uh, even if Martinelli <laughs> starts out on the... Let it go, James. <laughs> yeah, on the left-hand side. Well, I, I guess the reason I said it is it's not too dissimilar from the way we've seen those two used previously. Um I, I, I'd be intrigued to see it. And I think what appeals about putting Martinelli in the centre is, you know, it frees up an opportunity for Emil Smith-Rowe in the starting eleven, which, you know, hasn't yes. been there in recent yes. weeks. And it shouldn't be forgotten what good work he did in the first part of the season top playing scorer. from that left-hand side. And he is still the top scorer, indeed. A couple of nice stories uh, from, uh, well, actually one nice story and one annoying story. Uh, Ian Wright was at Boreham Wood yesterday for the FA Cup. Amazing result for them. Fifth round of the FA Cup they're in. Uh, that, and he he, um, he had a chat with a guy called Adrian Clifton, who's had a bit of a tough ride and he's been mentored uh, by Wrighty. If you were to give a message to Ian, what would you say right now? Thank you. Thank you. What, what more can I say? Thank you. And um, there's hope. There's hope. You know, when someone like Ian comes into a young man like myself's life and shows belief, we, we see how, you can see how far it can go. It's just another example of righty. I mean, it's saying he's a national treasure. It, it sort of feels demeaning, but he is a national treasure, isn't he, Wrighty? He's loved by football fans everywhere, not just teams he played for. Yeah, I, I've seen a few... Um... 
calls even from non-Arsenal fans when they watched the the clips of uh, of Ian being reunited with Adrian Clifton of Boreham Wood and the affection between them and it's so evident the way that you know one man's time and I think that was the really really um, important bit that Wrighty stressed about this is is being a mentor it's not about you know Churchillian speeches and rousing sort of you know things that you think is going to flick a switch in someone's head it's being there it's just it's that consistency of them knowing that you've got their back and that they can give you a call or they can run things past you yeah giving um, of yourself right that's the thing about writing exactly and to see the impact that that he has had on that man's life touched a lot of people and it makes you realize you know we're all we all have such high expectations of what our footballers should be as role models and, and so on and uh you know, really delivers again and again and again. And people of, you know, non-Arsenal fans are suddenly saying, you know, you should get a knighthood and let's get it on. Sir Wrighty, I think it's time. He's, he, he deserves it. I'm sure he'd enjoy it. And I think Sir Wrighty has a uh, excellent ring to it. It does. I can't think of any reason. I mean, the other thing is, of course, a statue outside the ground, James, as well. Just a, a, a more Arsenal uh, um, centered acknowledgement of what he's done for our club. I mean, he is a very deserving of whatever honours come his way, right? Absolutely. And, you know, his playing achievements alone would be worthy of recognition in the form of a statue or, or similar at the stadium. But I think the way he's continued to represent the club after his playing days uh, is in some ways as extraordinary. And he has become such a positive symbol of. Arsenal and everything it represents and stands for. As you know, I love Wrighty and yeah, stories and moments like this Adrian Clifton one are just uh, a part of that. His contribution to football and to society more generally continues to extend and impress me and I think he deserves to be honoured, well, in a whole host of ways really. Yeah. I mean, I can't really add a huge amount more. It's just, it is, it is thrilling to be his mate and to 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 have a laugh with him and him see me and go stony and I every time I think I see him right I see him right over there so it's a very exciting uh, uh, thing and what he did yesterday uh, was pretty cool and you can watch I, I think it's on iPlayer actually there's a little uh, uh, feature Amy or I think it was on ITV mate. Was it on IT? Oh, okay. It was on ITV. Okay, but I'm sure there is. Uh, uh, you can do some sort of catch up and see a little feature about what uh, what Wrighty did uh, with Adrian Clifton at Boreham Wood yesterday. One other thing, a slightly more serious thing, really, at Nottingham Forest Leicester yesterday. Um, and by the way, that result has put ours into perspective, is it not? Uh, they thumped Leicester four-one in the FA Cup. Uh, there was a pitch invader who ran on when Forest scored, I think, their last goal and started attacking the Forest players. Um, we've had a couple at Arsenal, and it all gets quite funny because the stewards are chasing them about and everything. Um, I mean, so far it's just been harmless uh, up to yesterday, um, but. Um, Amy, do you think it is becoming more of a problem? I mean, I remember watching football years ago and there were thousands of people on the pitch, but no one was going on there for any sort of malevolent, uh, you know, wanting to get at the opposition. It was just to go, look, I'm standing on the pitch. But I'm not quite sure what you can do. Aside from lifetime bans, there, there isn't a huge amount. We don't want fences again. We know that. So how can you stop this idiotic behaviour except by saying people you're never coming again? Well, that's what that's what is worrying, I think. And uh, 
you know, for those of us of, of our generation who remember being fenced in and who, you know, bore witness from a distance to the worst uh, tragedies that happen as a result of that, it, it, it's frightening because it just seems to be every week or, you, you know, it's very often now that you're turning on a game and there's someone else who's who's run on. And as you say, most of the time, it doesn't seem to be particularly vicious. But I don't think it's going to take too much for um, one of these days that it crosses a line, uh, which is, is quite frightening. I'm worried about it, to be honest. Um, do you remember what happened to Monica Selesh, the tennis player? Yep. You know, some maniac just ran on, on the pitch and stabbed her during a game. Yeah, yeah. ruined um, yeah, it's not It's not great, this uh, trend. But I don't really know what clubs are supposed to do because, uh, you know, the idea of doing something so draconian is to... Uh, make it more difficult for people to get across is a problem. The only thing I do remember is that back in the day, quite a few grounds, Ellen Road had a moat. Do you remember that? Some of the grounds shark, had a moat. Put sharks in it, maybe. Some sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, lampreys. If you, what, well, pretty much them. if you fell in the moat, and I hesitate to say this, but I, I, I can say this from experience. If you ended up in the moat, you couldn't really get out without being pulled out, usually by a member of the constabulary. Yeah. Um, so it did, it did make it quite, you know, you would have to have a hell of a leap as a fan. You'd have to be a professional long jumper to clear the moat from your seats or the front of the stand <laughs> to get on the pitch. Right. Now I'm not suggesting that Premier League clubs start building moats. However, it, you know, it does seem like that is one option that if this if something like this carries on, they're going to have to do something to prevent this kind of continuation of this this disturbance. Yeah. Just because, you know, while people run around and try and get close to the players or, or try and evade the stewards, that's one thing. But we all know we're living in an age where we're not too far away from something really awful happening. Quite, quite. James, anything to add to that, really? I mean, it's... No, I like the moats idea. Yeah. Uh, extend that, you know, get the players to come in over a drawbridge... Give the stewards lances. Go for a full medieval theme. Um, no, I, I, it is a little bit alarming, I have yep. to say. And I do think, I guess part of it is born out of the end of the pandemic. I wonder if there's something about fans being back in stadiums that, you know, the sense of opportunity and the liveness of that moment is somehow enhanced and some people can't handle that. Yeah, I hope it's something they can get a handle on because... Uh, the risk of something serious happening or the risk of, you know, a player retaliating to some kind of provocation and them suddenly becoming the full guy in it, I think is very serious and something that needs to be addressed. Quite. Uh, now, in a short while, we'll have a, a little chat about uh, Art, uh, sorry, Art de Roche is going to join us and we'll have a little chat about uh, the youth team, Arsenal 3, Chelsea 1, and also uh, the game at Meadow Park, uh, Arsenal 1, May United 1 for the women's uh, team. This is Handbrake Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
we were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Okay, we're joined now by Art de Roche, wearing a really uh, great replica shirt, by the way. Uh, can you just stand up a little bit? Uh, I know you can't <laughs> see this, but that what year? What is that? Is that a new? What is that's that? So it's that's the, the retro stuff they brought out, I think, around Christmas. I said I wasn't going to buy it, but then uh, my brother was in Shoreditch a few weeks ago, took a picture and sent it to me and was like, do you want it? And it's a nice I think we, shirt. Yeah, I think we all know what the answer was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hard to say no. Has he got De Roche on the back, by the way? No, there's nothing on the back. <laughs> I've okay. left it pure, clean. <laughs> yeah, 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 fair enough. <laughs> All right, the youth played on Friday night. Uh, Arsenal 3, uh, Chelsea 1. Um, these are some of the kids that we may well see. I mean, they've already been on the bench, but uh, Mikel Arteta doesn't seem of a mind to bring them on in general, although Charlie uh, Patino's had a, a run, out, run or two, uh, scored against Sunderland. How's it looking, uh, Art? Uh, any particular standouts that we maybe see making their debut soon? Especially with the thinness uh, of our squad. Yeah, I think in terms of just the general overview, they're in a lot better position than they were last year. Uh, I think Kevin Betsy's done really well with um, the players and just the squad in general, finding a way for them to play and be successful as a team, but also have players who can shine individually. Um, And of course, the guys, uh, you mentioned Patino, who's obviously already made his debut under Mikel Arteta. And then I think the closest guys after him would probably be Omari Hutchinson, Mika Bjerf and Salah Uladam Hand, who have all been on the bench. But if we're talking realistically, I'm not sure if they would get those opportunities this year, this season with Arsenal, just because when you look at, um, I guess, how much weight is going, going into these next 17 league games, I'm not sure Mikel Arteta would... Uh, choose to to f- just throw in throw in the kids in in these games. Maybe if if they're winning a game quite nicely, then then they could uh, be given a shot. But uh, <laughs> I love the optimism. We, yeah, I genuinely love sorry, the optimism. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry for. I guess. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit of pessimism after Balogun could have been given a few chances at the back end of last season. But uh, I just wouldn't want to get people's hopes up too early. <laughs> No, I mean, it's just that I was thinking of our our squad. I mean, we really have, I don't know, 15, 16 first-team players. And then after yeah. that, we only have to lose a couple. And we are a bit light. Um, Amy Amy was talking about uh, Amari Hutchinson. Uh, maybe would have been good to bring off, uh, bring off the bench for the last 10 minutes um, against Burnley. Or is that asking a bit too much of a, I don't know how old he is, 17, 18-year-old, to come up against Burnley? Yeah, he's 18. I think he's the one... He probably has the X factor. I know people are probably most <laughs> familiar with just little compilations and stuff on Twitter from him. But even in the game on, on Friday night, his goal, I think he received the ball on the halfway line and just good drove goal. through drove through goal. about two or three challenges. Then Charging forward in support of Hutchinson, who's going to go alone. Still Hutchinson. It's brilliant. Amari Hutchinson makes it 3-1, makes sure of the three points. And adds another goal to his personal highlight reel. It's Arsenal 3, Chelsea 1. Another thing with him, very clean finishes um, off the off his left foot, in, straight into the bottom corner. And I think it's understandable that Amy and probably other people as well would have wanted to see him come off the bench because he brings, I think, a directness that Arsenal lack at times. And if you have someone who 
is willing to bring that and is confident enough in themselves. I think giving them a chance isn't the worst thing in the world. But when when we remember it's Mikel Arteta who makes those decisions, I'm not sure if those opportunities will just come in these sorts of games. Maybe it's when Arsenal are 2-0 or 3-0 up and there's a bit more wiggle room in terms of the outcome of the game. Well, James, you were talking earlier about uh, about Gabby Martinelli, Gabby Martinelli, and the way he's been handled, and he's and it, it's been gradual, hasn't it? Really, I mean, he did come on a few times when he was much younger, but it has been more gradual. But also, I, I believe you're at the Sunderland. Were you at the Sunderland game when Charlie Patino came on, and how excited people get when the youth come on, and then for him to score, it was just a really magical moment. I felt. It was, yeah, and obviously, you know, we we're really enjoying the fruits of the academy in the current first team with people Sorry. like Smith Rowe and Bukayo Saka. So it's great to look at the generation behind that and see who's coming up. I think Amari Hutchinson looked a really exciting talent, and I was just going to ask Art. I mean, a number of players from the academy went out on loan towards the end of January. Some of those guys, Hutchinson, Beerith, um, they stayed behind. Why do you think those decisions were made? Was it because Arteta needs them to work within the first team in training on a pure numbers side? Is it because the under-23s are in the mix to to win their league and they want to keep that run going? Or do you think they just think it's not the right time for them yet to, to go out and have first team experience elsewhere? I think the main thing would be where do they feel they would be most likely to get minutes? We all saw, I think, in the summer... Everyone was very keen on Miguel Aziz getting a loan move. He got one, but it didn't particularly work out as everybody would have wanted. And not that wouldn't be the case for every single player that goes out on loan. But I also think it is a bit of, I guess, squad management in terms of which players would still be needed for the under-23s to perform well. Um, so you've seen, I think we've spoken about Tim Akinola before on here. Defensive midfielder, almost that midfield anchor for the first half of the season. Now he's got a loan move to Dundee United and that's what's almost opened the pathway for uh, Jack Henry Francis to play in that almost similar role. He's a bit more of a, a, a playmaker, Henry Francis, but it's just, I think, about the makeup of the squad because this is where you see, I think, very often it's around this time of year when the under-18s get their first kind of regular opportunities with the 23s and then... That with that, you get a bit more tw- 23s players training, but also just getting that first team exposure like we've seen with Patino, Hutchinson, Bierf and, and uh, Uladam Hand. I would also say those players who are kind of on the cusp of first team exposure probably just need to find, I guess, that those reality checks as well in terms of what, what first team football was actually like because there are times in those 23s games where the games just drift by and that, and that won't happen a lot in, in first team football. So I think it's a, a mixture of a few factors. And then you've of course got the issue with the, the size of the first team squad, which obviously makes it a bit more beneficial to keep as many of them in, in, in North London as possible. Quite. Um, let's have a, a chat also, uh, also at Meadow Park. The women's team played Manchester United uh, 1-1. Jonas Eidevel was not very happy about playing the both games being played there. But there was one 
just stunningly beautiful moment. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and put in uh, 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 Viv Miedema's pass to um, Black Stenius for the goal. It's just one of the most beautiful Beautifully weighted passes. Uh, I I would hesitate. I, I'm going to say it's Burkamp esque, wasn't it? <laughs> really? Yeah, I think um, going into the second half of the season, a lot of people may have thought, "Oh, why have Arsenal bought uh, another striker? They don't really need one when they got Miedemar." But I think that moment in particular shows that they can play together. Miedemar is not a striker that just plays as a traditional number nine. She's she's someone who floats away from the line. She she drops into deeper positions. She peels out wide. She She's doesn't just, just a stay very central. talented footballer. <laughs> yeah, very. And and I think that that was just proof in itself that that those two could work together. And I think if if they do play together a bit more often for for the rest of the season, then it just gives Arsenal's title credentials a lot more weight um, than if they were to play in in spite of each other, one replacing the other. I think that moment was probably. Uh, a, a very big one for for what could be the rest of the season for Arsenal. And and is it a title decider uh, at Kings Meadow on Friday night? I mean, it's Arsenal v Chelsea, two points ahead of Chelsea, but Chelsea have a game in hand. Um, Arsenal started the season brilliantly. It's definitely been a bit of a, I don't know, it's just sort of stalled slightly and Chelsea have been storming up the table. This is really, this will go a long way to decide who wins the uh, the league this year. Yeah, I don't think there's any hiding from the fact that this is a title decider. I know Jonas Ederval was quite coy when he was asked that after the United game. He said something along the lines of, well, if it is, I'll be able to see into the future or something like that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I do think these games in particular, historically in the WSL, have been the ones who that have decided where the title goes. Last year, Arsenal lost against Manchester City and Chelsea within two games of each other in February and that pretty much decided that they were going to be going for a Champions League fight rather than a title fight and I think they're in a a very good position right now but as you mentioned Ian there has been a bit of a wobble since the FA Cup final against Chelsea um, where they haven't really been able to put together consistent back-to-back wins and that's something that they will need to do very soon especially um, if Chelsea end up winning on Friday, because that could be the time where they lose their status as the league leaders. And I think uh, what's probably going to be very tough as well for them is just the availability of their their players, because it has been, with the January transfer activity, you can see the pieces that are there. So Leah Williamson and uh, Rafael Sosa. Is she going to be fit? Is she going to be? So that's the thing. (laughs) That's that's the thing. Idaval didn't confirm whether she would be available for the game. Um, Yeah. And she is massive for for Arsenal, as is Souza, who came in in January as the kind of left footed centre back. Um, And then, so you've got the pieces there. You just need them to be available. And that's going to be another deciding factor in in the Chelsea game, I think. Um, Basically, the shape of the squad that Idaval is going to be able to put out. I think that's going to be massive. Having the pieces and whether they're available, this seems to be the theme of this week's podcast (laughs) for the men's and the women's team. Uh, Let's have a song uh, to end then. Uh, James, I'm going to come to you first for something tuneful. Yeah, sure. Football's about to 
kick off again, Premier League football anyway. And so I've gone for, okay, go, here it goes again. Because, well, here we go again. <laughs> okay, Art, uh, did you have a song for us? I thought we'd ask. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it's not too pessimistic again. <laughs> but uh, I've gone for That's Running Out of Time by Tyler, the creator, because it feels <laughs> like both the men's and women's teams are slightly running out of time. There, There is still hope, but they they need to... They need to sort it out soon, sooner rather than later. So that's my that's my pick. All right, I'm having waiting by uh, or so tired of waiting uh, by the Kinks because uh, uh, I really am looking forward to Thursday. Uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, uh, Amy. To finish, I didn't get my chance to uh, chip in with the song when uh, Abamyang left, so I'm going to go for um, mainly because it's just such a great song, uh, Gloria Jones' version of Tainted Love. an absolutely brilliant tune uh that's it thank you for listening thank you to james and amy and art uh art you post a picture of that shirt at some point because i think people should see that's absolutely outstanding uh thanks to abby our producer and thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your week i'm ian stone this has been handbreak off the arsenal podcast brought to you by the athletic (laughs) 